0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Life is a Banquet, a show about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and pourable, with me, your host, Peppy Pew. <laughs> That's not what Peppy Lepew said. That was like Dracula doing. <laughs> with Pepe me, Le Pew. your host, Peppy Pew. <laughs> And me, <laughs> your host, Adam Sandler, who plays Dracula in some cartoon that I have to watch with my nephew. Adam Sandler, America's favorite pickle eater. <laughs> Does he like pickles? You've not seen the picture. He, there's a photo of him that emerged recently of him on a New York City street eating pickles right out of the jar, which I just... I think he's like America's favorite wearer of giant clothing. That's fair. He does wear some pretty big clothing. I like Adam Sandler, although I think he's a Giuliani sympathizer, which is not chill. Sympathizer. <laughs> um. What did you see that? Run the jewels or whatever show he was in? Yes, I love Run the Jewels, the, the show that he was in. <laughs> Uncut well, gems. Time. Uncut gems. It was amazing. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that, but so good. It seemed very like fashiony. In a way that's amusing. It was so good and it features Kanye West's new girlfriend, Juliette he has a new Lewis. Girlfriend? <laughs> Pete Davidson? <laughs> <laughs> this just in from the wires of the Associated Press. Uh Kanye West has dumped Juliet Lewis for Pete Davidson. He's dating Juliet Lewis? No, no. Uh Julia uh, something. I was like, that would be actually kind of cool. It would be super chilled. No. Um Fuck, I can't remember her last name. We're so old. CIM a Gen Xer. Julia Ormond. Yes, Julia Ormond. The <laughs> famed French star from the nineteen nineties. Star of Sabrina, the remake, which I don't hate. <laughs> That's true with Harrison Ford. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Greg Kinnear. Greg, Greg Kinnear. Oh, love Greg Kinnear. Um, now listen to me right now. Have you no, watched you have to tell me who Kanye West is dating immediately. The go- the girl from Uncut Gems. Her name is Julia, and I forget what her last name I is see it. Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yes! This just in <laughs> from the wires. These Associated <laughs> brands: Scott A. West. And Julia Louis Dreyfus are fucking each other. Juliette
1: Binoche.
2: Stop it! It's Julie <laughs> Deeply, obviously. Um, Who is that? From the French actress from uh, those movies with Ethan, Ethan Hawke, Before Sunset, Before Sunrise. Oh, I don't think that's how you pronounce her last name. Julie <laughs> Deeply. Deeply um nicole look i really have a question to ask you speaking of juliette lewis have you seen the show that i simply cannot stop talking about and no one else that i know has seen it i'm very frustrated by it yellow jackets so i'm pretty sure we talked about this on the last episode but okay great in case we didn't i did start watching it but i am just not that into it because <gasps> i feel like i can already predict what's going to happen and it, it what just, do you think is gonna happen They, like, form Lord of the Flies like tribes and eat each other. Well, how much of it did you watch? The first episode. Okay. I'm going to suggest to get back into it. Folks, if anyone (laughs) out there is a Yellow Jackets fan like me, uh, please call into the show. Uh, There's only one episode left in the season. I have some fan theories. I'd like to suss them out with you. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the show, there's a fucking hot guy in it. That's the real reason I like it. Who? Julia, Julia Fox. Fox. That's who kind of. Julia Fox, name. yes. The hot guy in it is the guy who like is the young guy she gets in the car accident with. Um you haven't watched the show. I don't even like. know if I saw the car accident. <laughs> yeah. You didn't really watch the show. Nicole's. The out. girl who's like fucking her friend's boyfriend? That girl? hmm Yeah. As the older version, she gets in a car accident in the first episode with a hot man. maybe i didn't even finish the whole episode i just really i was like i wanted it to be supernatural in nature it is it gets supernatural and it's very scary it's actually so scary that like i was reading fan theories last night about what happens in the last episode and i was so spooked that i had to turn the (laughs) lights on in my apartment i started shivering with fear but it is true that they form their own lord of the flies like clans and eat each other we don't know yet we don't know yet and we still have only one episode to go so It's not. We still don't know. That's the other thing. Is like they're going to drag this out for one hundred years, and I just don't really. I honestly, something about it. I just don't care. I don't care about like the evil helper chick that like killed bugs in her pool or killed mice in her pool. That is now Christina Ricci. Like I don't care about her. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Anyone else out there with good taste, please call me because we need to discuss the, first of all, the sexy man on the show, Mike Sala, here's looking at you. He, and I think he has
1: started watching it. Good. He knows Mike and
2: I will talk about it. Now, let's move on. You no, I have so- more complaints about Yellow jacket. No, actually, please. Uh, <laughs> please, no. The other thing that I find really frustrating is that, like, literally every show that comes on television now has to have some sort of 90s element to it. And, like, I understand that, like, these women would be in my age, except for Juliet Lewis is in her fifties and I am not, um, not yet. You're not. (laughs) They would have been in high school at the same time that I was in high school, but like the, every fucking show that's on TV, even though by now people who are showrunners are probably in their thirties and we're definitely not in high school in the nineties, everything's set in the nineties. And it's it's overkill. I'm sick of it. Move on. I didn't know that because I don't really watch very many shows except for Mad Men. <laughs> ah, my glasses just fell off, which is not set in the 90s. Actually, Ryan Crossman and I, this is very boring for anyone who's, I forgot that we were even recording this show. This is such no, this ridiculous is riveting, chatter. This is riveting television content. People Ryan Crossman had the fucking gall the other day to tell me that he wasn't into Mad Men. And I was just I don't like, understand. okay, well, I'm like, fuck off. This He's never is seen like, it you're a contrarian. Um he doesn't like Mad Men. (laughs) If you don't like Mad Men, I'm not sure that like we have anything else to speak about. Mad Men is the second greatest show of all time. Did you fire him after you? I should have. I should have, and I would have, I could have, and I still can. But anyway, the worst (laughs) part was that he was like, Madman takes place in the 50s. And I was like, No, it doesn't. It takes place in the 1960s. And some of it takes place in the 1930s. During and the he last had decade. never yes, I know that. But he had never seen it and yet was like trying to fight with me about what decade it was in, knowing So that he's never seen it. That's why he thinks he doesn't like it. Favorite show. Yeah, he's he's only seen like two episodes. And I was like, I've watched each of these like 20 times. You've never seen it, and yet you won't accept that I am right about when it takes place. <laughs> uh. Just, He's like, no, it definitely happened in the 50s. You were wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I the know. first season is in the 1959. We need to make a wanted poster for this person. Actually, it's <laughs> funny. Armin saw him at the pop-up when he came to get food. And he was like, oh, you're Ryan. They talk about you on the show all the time. And Ryan was like mortified. Good. Well, I don't know why we talk about it so much, honestly. But who cares? <laughs> That's because uh, is like my like only friend. <laughs> the only person person i ever see ever Uh, it's ridiculous um, well let's move on to what people are actually here for which is the gossip about jennifer lopez and ben affleck what's happened oh my god well really boring shit so basically jennifer l which is what i've taken to calling her in my mind (laughs) Um, she apparently set some intentions for the new year or something and like mm. told all of her fans about them, which just makes me feel like very uncomfortable. And like, I would hate to be famous, even though I secretly wanted to be famous for a right. long time. Um, thank right. you. I didn't know that her secret about you. intentions, yeah, her intentions were that she wants to be the best partner to Ben. And, I mean, <laughs> obviously, Come on. she's saying this because she doesn't want him to like, get drunk and then go on national television and tell people that if he hadn't broken up with her he would still be a drunk so she's just right. like covering her ass um which is hard to do because there's so much of it i right <laughs> ladies and gentlemen yeah. it's like very famously large ass um she also gushingly referred to his movie, The Tender Bar, as incredible and says he is amazing in it. And we all know how we feel about that movie, even though we've never seen it. It's fucking <laughs> uncle propaganda. And also, it just reminds me of The Tender Trap, which was a strip club in my hometown. Which later on became a bar in Brooklyn, but my, it was like my friend Barry, my high school friend Barry's uncle's strip club that we would always try to sneak up into. And one time I went there with a group of guys, we snuck in with our fake IDs in high school and one of this like totally ridiculous person that we went to high school with, he was just like the most kind of like braggadocious, like, I don't know, jerk. And he's like, one of the strippers just stuck my toe up her vagina. (laughs) <laughs> no how and I was like I'm sure she did that but she anyway, ran flip-flops because that's disgusting <laughs> I know I'm like you took your shoe and sock off but why anyway we're let's move on Ben asked okay like, well I don't think that happened but yeah tender trap is also what comes to mind when I think of tender bar but I was just thinking of the bar in mm. Brooklyn. and it's two locations with had naked ladies dancing on the bar or like dress ladies but scantily clad yes named after um, the strip club so, yeah. And then the only other thing that I could find about Jen and Ben was that the Daily Mail reported that uh, Jen has recently been flashing her rock-hard abs around town. <laughs> That's <laughs> Which hilarious. that was really cool. Just the flashing thing, them like a flasher, like just running up to unsuspecting victims and just being like, wow. <laughs> well, they're like, man, this elderly woman who is, you know, elderly is flashing her rock hard app. This is daily news, which is (laughs) daily mail is British. They're in England. They're all the way in England. And they're like, here's what we got for you. JLo's J JLo's a flasher now. Um, also I just learned from watching TV at my parents' house that JLo has thinning hair and she uses minoxidil, which is really, she is a spokesperson for them. I think by law though, doesn't she actually have to use it? I don't know. Minoxidil, huh? Yeah. So with minoxidil or just regular straight minoxidil mainlining is like the stuff. She basically, she's like, I put it on my scalp twice a day. And I'm like, that sounds like almost, I mean, being bald is very scary to me. And I, one of my greatest fears Mm. is bald women are not allowed to exist. Like bald men are. Mm -hmm. And. She said that she has to put it on her scalp twice a day, every day. And I was like, that's too much work for me. I wouldn't be able to stick to the regimen. And I will Do just have not to even stick. to keep your hairs? Well, put a wig on. No, they're so itchy. Oh, you know, I'm sure by the time in two or three years when you go bald. There have been some major improvements in wig science. I mean, even though a bunch of fans, people have like come out and been like, I'm bald. I've been wearing wigs this whole time. It still feels like a stigma to be a bald woman. Meanwhile, bald men just get to roam around the streets. Bald men are king. The king of England is going to be bald. He is bald, but he's not king. He actually will be. (laughs) And he just can't wait to be king and bald. We're not supposed to (laughs) sing on the podcast. It's okay if it's the Lion King. (laughs) <laughs> um okay let's talk about our topic okay great why the fuck not that's what we're all here for aren't you one person Mike Sala <laughs> Mike Sala we're here to talk about your favorite topic New Orleans um, Nolans um, okay. nope Orleans. <laughs> Nola <laughs> no that's not right if you <laughs> if you talk like that the whole time during your part it's gonna be a big problem <laughs> I'm gonna speak in a Cajun accent <laughs> that's, just, that's okay right yeah. Okay. Uh, into <laughs> I decided to do the history of the po' boy because it is crazy. There's murder involved. Mur- murder? There's a streetcar strike. <gasps> Everything you can imagine. Holy shit. Let's get into it. Okay. So I got my information from mobilebaymagazine.com, timotise.com, which is not Timothe Chalamet's website, by the way um and <laughs> nola.com literally that's a website okay great so as is the case with most old foods we don't really know for sure where this all began but there is like a mythological story that a lot of people think is true about how the boy started but it's not true boy propaganda But it also sort of is true. So let's just get into it. So the original story that a lot of people think is what the original story of the pro is, is that there was a 1929 streetcar strike in New Orleans. And, um, these two gentlemen named Benny and Clovis Martin. Ooh, Clovis throwback. There's not that you don't know any Clovises. I bet now do you? Yeah. It's not one of those like eight vintage names that are coming back like, Ruth or Enid. Mm. Um, Clovis is good. Yeah, Clovis is good. I also like Benny. That's cute. Um, Benny is great. So the the Martin Brothers had a French market in coffee stand, um, and they were formerly streetcar operators until they opened their restaurant in 1922. They Mm. allege that the Po' Boy was created in 1929 during the strike
0: when the Martin Brothers
2: gave away sandwiches to the strikers for free. Um, So basically, they published a letter in the local newspaper to the strikers, and they were like, listen, boys, we will give you free food at our house, at our restaurant, just come on by. God bless you. And we'll stay with you during the strike till hell freezes over. And then if hell freezes (laughs) over, we'll buy you some blankets. So they were like really, really pro strikers, which, of course, we love. We love it. um, Originally... Their sandwich was probably fried potatoes, gravy, and spare bits of meat on a French bread roll. So, pretty high-carb mm. situation here. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. like a poutine on a bread. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they said that whenever a striker walked by, they would say to themselves jokingly, here comes another poor boy, which is how the sandwich oh, is named. Oh, interesting. K-T-B. Um However, this is probably not true. Um, The first time this legend story was printed in the newspaper, it was 40 years after the strike. So um, that's just like the first time anyone had even heard this origin story. Was it like 19, whatever, 20 years after, whatever, 40 years after 1929. Nobody (laughs) knows. 1969. Um, They... And it is true that they can obviously go back and research this, that they did print that letter in the newspaper, but they didn't mention the word po'boy in the, the actual letter. They just said, you can get free food from us strikers. God bless you. Right. Um, and there was another, so there's also, an, they just did a bunch of newspaper research, but basically in 1933, there was a newspaper article that was celebrating the grand opening of another Martin brothers location um, and of course, that had like the history of their whole restaurant, and they had been selling French bread sandwiches long, long before the strike of 1929. So, at the very least, their timeline is not true of why they started calling it Pope Then that same article that's talking about the Martin Brothers' grand opening says that the po' boy name actually came from the truck farmers who would just grab, they would drive all their trucks in from the farms and sell produce on North Peter Street. And, you know, they were super broke because it was the Depression. So they were the poor boys. Oh, I thought like they were saying because they were produce, they were like produce boys, like pro, (laughs) but then they would really be pro boy. (laughs) They would be like, yeah. Um, Also, there's another story. From famous jazz musician Sidney Bichette who wrote in his autobiography about hanging out and playing music with Louis Armstrong in New Orleans, and they there's like a little story that he tells about how they would each get fifty cents after the show as their total payment. but wow. I'm sure that was like sixty-five hours back then. <laughs> Seems totally um, legit. And he said Louis Armstrong and I would go get some beer and get a couple of po boys stuffed with ham, and this was in 1917, years before the Martin brothers even moved to New Orleans. Oh, shit. Louis Armstrong is blowing this all up. (laughs) Um, However, the first time that a po' boy was actually mentioned in the news was in 1929. So, and this was in reference to a high-profile murder case. And this was also, for the (gasps) record, four months after the strike had begun. So... Oh the strike and the po' boy like, origin story don't really seem to be hand-in-hand in, hand in real life. No. But there was a high-profile murder case because a man was found. He, fall, he fell off a steamship into the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. Or the Mississippi, if you want to call it that. Or the M-I-S-S-I-S-I-P-P-I River. Um, And they thought he was suicide, but he had been shot. And it came to light that the woman he had been traveling with While she was on the steamship with this other dead guy, um, got engaged. Another dead guy? No, she was traveling with the dead guy. Oh, with the guy who eventually died. I thought you said she was already with a dead guy. Then she met this guy and he also became dead. she was with an alive guy, but then he got shot. Got it. And she said that while she was traveling however long on their steamship to get wherever the hell they were going, that she actually became to the ship's second officer during that trip. So she's like traveling with her boyfriend, allegedly. Yeah. And then she gets engaged to one of the ship captains. <laughs> just just like meets him engaged, yeah. and pushes her boyfriend off the boat, obviously. Well, he was shot. But so then the second officer got arrested and it was this big, crazy murder trial. And eventually the officer and the woman were both acquitted. She was a famous socialite who used to be married to William Powell, the director. Um, oh. Wow. But... They were both acquitted. Who knows who actually killed this poor man? But the point is, is that during that whole time, all the journalists were gathered around to like sit outside the courthouse waiting for the trial to be done. And one of them reported that they were all eating po'boys to like have their lunchtime. And that's the first time a po'boy was mentioned in the news.
0: How interesting.
2: Um, So essentially where the po'boy most likely actually originated is from something called a French loaf or lobe sandwich which you can still get in new Orleans, a loaf which like an oyster loaf is the most common thing you can get and how is it um, different than the boy you're about to tell us yeah so essentially around 1860 fried oyster sandwiches on french bread called lobes started showing up in new Orleans. and there's also some evidence that those actually originated in san francisco oh um, i love a fried oyster sandwich yeah it's really good and the bread was still like buttered french bread but it was just it wasn't like the way that a po' boy is now. So probably... So basically, those kind of sandwiches, the loaves, have been around in New Orleans basically forever. Um, what the Martin brothers most likely changed is the way that the bread is. So they just started serving it on very large pieces of French baguette or French loaf, essentially. Right. Because it's not before, quite baguette. It's not, like, tough. Like, it's yeah, not as French It's a, French, a, baguette. No, it's a baguette. French loaf. It's, like, right. softer. Yeah. Um, and they partnered with another bakery which is like a famous bakery that i didn't write down because i suck but um they're sort of the people that originated that long giant like soft french loaf that you Mm -hmm. associate with a po' boy now um most likely the martin brothers were the guys that sort of got it to be that way and apparently also they're version of boys were less gravy so people like it was just like the original ones had a lot of gravy so they were mm. really wet and soggy <laughs> mm. so <laughs> the martin brothers probably like perfected the art of the boy, or at least took it in a direction that became very popular and more easy to walk down the street and eat so in a sense they kind of did invent the po'boy sort of, but not really the name or the, act. it's like what we think of as a po'boy today is their helpful invention, but the name and the sandwich has been around. Forever. Had been around already. Now. <clears throat> okay. I have a couple questions. When I think of a po'boy and granted, I've never been to uh, Nolan's um, or Louisiana at all. And I haven't really, I think maybe I've had a po'boy at like, you know, I don't know, a restaurant trying to do their take on it and obviously know what it is, but I've never had an authentic one. Um, I picture lots of very thinly shredded iceberg lettuce. That's true, correct? Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's also that's something the that the Martin brothers might have started. Now, very thinly shredded iceberg lettuce is the kindest thing you can do to any sandwich. In fact, I would take a sandwich that just had thinly shredded iceberg lettuce on it and like mayonnaise and and mustard. Yeah, like in when Harry met Sally. Yes, exactly. No, in Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. She gets a lettuce and tomato sandwich and so does her and so does Bill Pullman, her husband, who's allergic to everything. Oh, well, he <laughs> never becomes her husband, but I digress anyway. Um so what what is the difference between the oyster loaf and the oyster po boy? Um, I think an oyster loaf traditionally and i i also could be wrong about this but they hollow them out a little bit so that Mm. you can sit more stuff in there oh okay interesting um and like if you go to new orleans now i and i don't i think that might be the biggest difference but obviously if anyone knows better mike saw let us know um that could be the biggest difference. But, but you can also get, like, loaves. Like, there's also, like, barbecue shrimp loaf down there, which is also hollowed out a little Ooh, bit. Ooh, that sounds delicious. What did you... What was some of your favorite things when you went down there? What did you eat? Well, I didn't, like, go super crazy New Orleans when I was down there. The first mm-hmm. place that Mike and I ate was at a Tex-Mex restaurant. Yeah, you um, mentioned that, that you had a taco was, salad without an edible bowl, which I don't approve of. <coughs> it was good. Fair and enough. And then... um. We plan to go to a Mediterranean restaurant called Shia, which I guess maybe whatever is potentially canceled, but whatever. Okay. Um, it's basically, I was just like, I love dip. And he was like, oh, there's this really great Mediterranean restaurant. that has like really awesome. They have like, you know, like lamb hummus, but they also have fried chicken hummus and everyone's mm-hmm. like, get the fried chicken hummus. And okay. But they were closed because of COVID. So we went to this place called, which I butchered the name, but it makes me laugh. It's Pasquale Manali. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Milli they, Manali. in the Garden District, they are the originators of barbecue shrimp, allegedly. I mean, and you don't like shrimp. I don't, but that was like, we were we were at a loss for what to do, and that place was right across the street, so we went there. And they have other things besides barbecue shrimp. Was well, it good? Uh, yeah, and it, barbecue shrimp is like not barbecue sauce. It's basically just like a spiced butter. Right. It's like Um, butter and Tabasco. I actually, a friend of mine who grew up in the South and I think in Mississippi, um, sent me a wonderful recipe for her mother's barbecue shrimp. And it's, yeah, it's like a buttery, peppery, like Tabasco-y thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so Mike got that and it comes with a bit because it's like a very thin sauce. Um, and I made Mike peel me a shrimp and so that I could eat it and I did eat one and it was fine. Um, but yeah and then i just got a bunch of sides we got a really delicious wedge salad there as well Mm. and then we went to our nodes which is one of the like vintage first restaurants in new orleans type deal um you're supposed to wear a collared shirt there white tablecloth Mm. um love it and we got all kinds of stuff we got like they have like a uh, like an oyster like a they have like Oyster's Rockefeller, Oyster's Suzette, like all those like cooked how in. fun. Like Cream
0: green. and sherry.
2: Yeah. So we there's like one that had like a sampler platter of all those that we got. We got, um, maybe we got the wedge salad there. I can't remember. We got baked Alaska. Oh my God. How fun. It was really fun. Um, wow, that sounds and awesome. I actually, they, so apparently our nodes is the originator of the French 75. I got one of those there, and it was terrible. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's not for me. And it's not my favorite. Um, we, were, we were supposed to go on recommendation from our, our other friend who goes down and runs all the time to go to Antoine's, but they're only open Thursday through Sunday, and I was leaving on Thursday, so we couldn't Right, go. right, right. Um, but, yeah, we had a really nice time. And then I also
1: just went to this cute little new in the garden district like hotel that has a restaurant in it and got french fries and
2: sparkling wine um called san lorenzo i think cool and it was fun i made friends with multiple bartenders oh i also went to this like little wine bar in the bywater called in seven um which was very cute and had like natural wine and i did not go to bacchanal because i just wasn't really in the mood right to go there by myself (laughs) um And so, you know, maybe I'll go someday. But now it's very touristy. Yeah, who knows? We'll go and do a bunch of stuff together when I come with you next time to crash the party at Senor Sala's house. We'll definitely do that. Okay, great. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with another riveting tale of Nolan's food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese.
2: Well bonjour, we're back folks. Hello. <clears throat> That's hello in French is bonjour. Nicole, did you know that? I did not know that. Au revoir to you then. <laughs> just goodbye. <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> that I can go? <laughs> yes, that means you might as well just check out cuz I'm sure you're not going to listen to me anyway. Now, I'm yeah. going to tell you the story of probably one of the I mean I would say the most famous chef ever to come out of New Orleans. Now, I think a lot of people think Emeril Lagasse when we think of chefs from New Orleans. Um, yeah. However, this gentleman was not only the first famous chef from, like, celebrity chef from New Orleans, but basically the first celebrity chef ever in America. Um, and this, man, this man's name is Martha Stewart. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. And this man's name is Paul Perdom. Oh, Yeah who looks exactly like your favorite actor and also chef, Dom DeLuise. Sometimes they, oh, almost I do love Dom DeLuise. they are almost identical. So I got my information today from uh, Daniela Garza, uh, an article on Eater, um, a New York Times, a very long form New York Times article about um, Mr. Perdom after he passed away in 2015 by William Grimes, and a little funny story from muckrock.com. And... From a copy of Paul per- Chef Paul Prudhomme's Louisiana Kitchen, which I own. It's in my own kitchen, my New York City kitchen. So I want to just tell you a little bit about the early life of Paul Prudhomme. He was born on July 13th in 1940, the year of our Lord, on his family's farm near uh, Opalasa, Louisiana. And he was the hey, youngest sir. of, guess what, 13 children. I feel like that was kind of the vibe back then, though. It's a lot of children. Honestly, as someone with no children, the thought of thirteen children—I just don't even understand. But that's fine.
0: Times I all were them didn't Live,
2: you know. Were those? Was that the Greatest Generation? No. That's the, the greatest generation, generation. Ends in 1927. Okay, so he was born in the as we were speaking about before the Silent Generation. Sure. Okay. Great. But he was anything but, because this man can really talk. (laughs) Uh, His parents were sharecroppers. They uh, were sweet potato farmers, and the family was quite poor. Um, By the time Paul was seven, when his sisters had left home, he began helping his mother in the kitchen, and that's when I think he really developed his his love for cooking, watching his mom. And then he goes on to say in the Chicago Tribune in an interview in 1986, quote, I remember when I was nine years old, I heard of a cousin that worked in in a New Orleans hotel. This was 1949. He made $150 a week, and it seemed like an awesome amount of money to get to cook. I mean, to be a cook, which was fun, and get to be paid that much money, to be all dressed up in white, just seemed like a wonderful thing. How pure. (laughs) How that's your right like today and it's exactly the same you still get paid 150 a week <laughs> <laughs> and it is that's such tight. fun it's such fun and you got dressed up in white and your tall tall hat um so paul had a different uh concept of cooking which maybe was you know actually reasonable back then um <laughs> So he opened a couple of restaurants, he opened like a burger restaurant in Colorado and a bunch of things when he was like in his early 20s, and they went bankrupt, same, Paul. And by the late 1960s, he realizes that it was like the cooking of his mother and grandmother that's not wasn't known much outside the South that he really wanted to kind of like, like, reattach to, he wanted to go back to his roots. Um, so he moves back to New Orleans and lands a job as the first American chef to run the kitchen at probably the most famous old school restaurant in New Orleans, Commander's Palace. Yeah. Did you see that when you went down there? Have you ever been in it or by it? I have never been to Commander's, but we tried to go there, but we couldn't get a reservation. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've not been to New Orleans, but you know, I know about the kind of big restaurants down there and the culinary traditions and that these like kind of, fancier places. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's fun. I would love to go and eat at one of those spots someday. And I will when I go sleep in Mike Sala's bed. Um, so... He has a spare bedroom. <laughs> and I'm still staying in his bed. So <laughs> anyway, he started cooking Creole cooking. And right, like, I just wanted to talk a little bit for anyone who doesn't really know the difference between Creole and Cajun cooking. In Mr. Perdom's own words, in the preface, uh, the introduction of his book, Chef Paul Prudhomme's Louisiana Kitchen. He says, people often ask me what the difference between Cajun and Creole cooking is. Cajun and Creole cuisines share many similarities. Both are Louisiana-born with French roots, but Cajun is very old country French cooking, a simple, hearty fare. Cajun food began in Southern France and moved to Nova Scotia and then came to Louisiana because the British drove uh, the uh, C- the those people out of um, Nova Scotia and down to Louisiana. The, in the, Ac- the Acadians, War, yes. Because they sided with the Indians. Exactly. The Acadians adapted their dishes to use ingredients that grew in the wilds and in the area, bay leaves from the laurel tree, fillet powder from the sassafras tree, and an abundance of different peppers such as cayenne, Tabasco, banana, bird's eye that grow wilds in southern Louisiana. Um, learning of their uses from the Native Americans. The evolution of Creole cooking, just like Cajun, had depended heavily on whatever foods have been available. But Creole food, unlike Cajun, began in New Orleans and is a mixture of traditions of French, Spanish, Italian, American, Native American, uh, African, and other ethnic groups. Seven flags flew over New Orleans in the early days, and each of them, a new nation, took over. Many members of the deposed government would leave the city. Most of their cooks and other servants stayed behind. The position of cook was highly esteemed and the best paid position in the household. Those cooks most often who were black would be hired by other families, often different of different nationalities. Of course, the cooks would have to change their style of cooking over a period of time. They learned how to cook a variety of nationalities, and incorporated their own spicy home style way of cooking into different cuisines of their employers. This is the way Creole food was created. Creole cooking is more sophisticated and complex than Cajun. And it's the cooking of the city. So I thought that was quite interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he helms the restaurant at Commander's Palace for four years. And then in 1979, he leaves to open his own restaurant named K. Paul's Louisiana Kitchen with the woman who had become his wife, Kay Hitcherns, And it was called K-Paul's after like K and Paul, which is very cute. And when he leaves Commander's Palace, guess who takes over the helm of the kitchen there? Emerald Emeril Lagasse. Mm. Another short man from Louisiana. Paul <laughs> Burdome was only five feet tall, which I find to be very interesting. And That's adorable. It's very cute. Um, so talking about what it was like at K. Paul's, uh, Mr. Burdome says, quote, it was down and dirty Cajun cooking. It was what mama used to do. I'd go to the country and buy andouille from a guy I've known since I was a kid. Which is just, it sounds great. This place sounds amazing. I wish I had gotten to go. It is no longer with us. In keeping with Mr. Perdom's gospel of fresh ingredients, the restaurant had no freezers. It didn't accept credit cards or reservations. The rent was $50 a month, and it was an instant hit with just 64 seats. It filled up nightly for four or five seatings. Dinners were about $5 each. Amazing. I know. Really fabulous. Had you ever heard of Paul Perdom before this? Like, Did you ever hear of his, do you know about like his magic seasoning spice blends? I don't know. I bet if I've seen, I don't know. Probably not. If you look up like magic seasoning, I think it's called magic seasoning. It's like a picture of him wearing a hat. He like looks just like Dom DeLuise, and he wore like the same outfit and stuff too. The same hat, <laughs> so it just looks like spice, a spice jar with Dom DeLuise on it. Okay, so it became a sensation right off the bat. Um, it got the attention of food writers, and it got people to take uh, taken. Account of um, Cajun specialties and exposing Americans to ingredients like ta- tasso and boudin, um, so it was an approach that kind of wrapped itself in with like a larger movement, which now you know as New American cooking, um, which placed a premium on the richness of regional cuisine in the United States. So one, his most famous dish that he had, which he was like completely super famous for, was called blackened redfish. And apparently it was like a national craze. Um, he just dredged redfish and butter and dusted them with like cayenne pepper and one of his classic spice mixes, and then blackened them in a cast iron. But yeah. the dish became so popular that the redfish population of the Gulf of Mexico became under threat, and he had to start stop making it. <laughs> oh my god! That's so many fish. I know. It's he was like the rock eating all the cod out of the water, except with oh redfish. God. Except making redfish. Yeah. Um. So anyway, he was, as I mentioned, he was only five feet tall and at one point got up to be about 500 pounds. Um, Whoa! Yeah, so like really quite large for such a small guy and he ended up having to use like kind of like a mechanical, like an autom- automated um, little cart thing. A cart? What am I talking about? A scooter. <laughs> an wow. automated cart. He used use a scooter for a while when he got really heavy and then again at the end of his life. But um. He just was, like, a really happy, joyful person, like, last night. I I remember watching his cooking shows in, like, the late 80s and 90s on PBS because I would always be, like, pop down in front of PBS and watch, like, the Frugal Gourmet and Julia Child. And, like, he had a show. He had a bunch of shows on PBS. But anyway, I remember him always being, like, this kind of really joyful guy who just would make Cajun food and be like, the gumbo is delicious! (laughs) Just, like, sweet (laughs) man. Um... He says of Cajun cuisine, Cajun makes you happy. He told People magazine in 1985, it's emotional. You can eat a pl- you can't eat a plate of gumbo. You can't eat a plate of Cajun food and not have good thoughts. Which I'm I'm not sure if that's true, but I'm going to take his <laughs> word for it. What did you he think? Did know. you have good thoughts when you were eating Cajun food or any bad thoughts? Um, I didn't have any bad thoughts. No urge to kill? No. No urge to kill urge to kill rising rising um he got a taste of nationwide exposure in 1979 when food and wine magazine invited him to tavern on the green in new york to give a cooking demonstration for the food press uh with chefs from france italy and california that included none other than ms alice waters um
0: really
2: (laughs) yes she goes on to say i will quote i will never forget the dessert he made Um, He constructed it out of chocolate little Cajun cabins with little front porches. What? Yeah, each person had one, and under the roofs were little Louisiana strawberries. Then the waiters came around with a big bowl of warm creme anglaise, and they poured it over the little Cajun cottages, and they all melted. And I just thought, who dreamed this up? Isn't that adorable and strange? (laughs) It's so strange. (laughs) like we're gonna make a tiny labor (laughs) intensive or something that's just gonna melt i know i think it's so funny just like a little melted chocolate house and just eat it um okay so this is where things get a little funny um early in the morning of september 29th 1983 mr perdom was stopped at new orleans international airport with a 22 revolver after it was discovered (laughs) in his luggage after and so like he just isn't was, it a twenty two like, like a little tiny gun. It's a tiny gun, and so he was like, "Oh, like I didn't, I didn't know." And he offered an explanation that like said it was Long John's were involved somehow, and he made it. It was actually made out of chocolate. Yes, and then he poured warm crème anglaise all over it, and it <laughs> melted. You <He laughs> ate it with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> and his luggage was ruined. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Oh no, you just pour somebody had to eat too fait. Um, Okay, after months of failed attempts to contact Mr. Pajam, uh, the FBI manages to reach him because he like, was evading the FBI about like being in t- like contact about what happened, why he had this gun. So like, they let him fly, and they're like, the FBI "They took the gun. Will be they let him fly." Then they had to like. <laughs> notify the fbi but why they had to notify the fbi is because he admitted it wasn't the first time that it had happened almost exactly a year before he had been arrested for bringing the same gun through security at a baltimore international airport but i thought you can bring a gun if you check it he was trying to bring it on his person Oh, okay. Well, I don't understand why he wouldn't just check his chocolate gun. I don't understand either. He says, quote, I regret the incident. The only heat I wanted to bring to Baltimore was <laughs> my seasoning line. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> the file wow. also noted, amazingly, that just a few months prior to the incident in Maryland, Perdam's wife, Kay, had herself been arrested in Louisiana <laughs> for accidentally bringing that same gun through airport security in her purse. Dear Lord, it's in her fucking purse. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> be more careful. Another gun-related incident for Paul was while he was cooking for the Zurich Classic of New Orleans golf tournament in 2008, he felt what he, he felt what he later described as a quote bee sting on his arm. In fact, it was a falling bullet. Someone near someone with a mile or so of the course had apparently fired a rifle into the air. Um, though he was nicked, the bullet put a hole in a chef coat, and he didn't require any medical attention. He was back cooking with within minutes. Okay, so this is something that I never really thought about until moving to Indianapolis, where firing guns in the air is prevalent. Right. Um, they do come down at high speeds that can kill people, and multiple people that I work with have had bullets fall through their roofs. Are you during- serious? Yeah, like on the 4th of July or on New Year's Eve or on, like, any sort of holiday where you shoot your gun around. Um, Holy shit. So, yeah, don't do that, people. Don't do it. It's ridiculous. It's not It's not cool, man. Not cool for <laughs> anyone. You could kill somebody like Pop or Dom. Just shoot it straight into, like, a tree or something. Exactly. Also, I would be scared if I shot a gun in the air that it would land on me. I mean, I would never even look at a gun, honestly. <laughs> I just have so little interest and so much contempt. Um, So during the summer of 1985, Perdom planned to open a temporary restaurant in Manhattan. The health department found some 29 violations on the site before it opened. Perdom opened it anyway. The board of health threatened criminal prosecution, including jail time, but mayor Ed Koch stepped in to support the chef and the restaurant thrived for five weeks. Were the violations that they still didn't have freezers? Yeah, they're like you have no freezers or refrigerators, and there's a live alligator here. What are you doing? it's filled with guns. Yeah, there's like all there are, are guns and all. We opened the walk-in, and it was full of guns and alligators and melted chocolate. What's happening here? <clears throat> Asked by the Toronto Star in 2000 to name his favorite dish, he did not hesitate. From the time I was a child, it's fresh pork roast with holes punched into it and filled with herbs, spices, pork lard, onions, peppers, and celery, cooked in a cast iron roasting pan in the wood burning oven all night. Sounds like it would be dry. Shot into it with a gun. Yes, you shoot. (laughs) You shoot holes in it with a gun. You pluck the bullets out and you fill it with onions and peppers. It's delicious. (laughs) Then you leave it in it. the fire all night long. Again, sounds dry, but I'm going to take his word for it. He's the professional <laughs> here. Um, he said, I'd serve the dish with candied yams, dirty rice, and warm potato salad. That sounds fucking delicious. Sure does. Um, and this is a quote from Mr. Padom, which I thought was a very sweet way to end the story about him. We have a responsibility as citizens to do what we can for each other. It makes people happy. They eat it, and when they see me later, they want to hug me to touch me because Louisiana food is emotional food. It has a lot of flavor to it. You put it in your mouth in bad times, and it makes you feel good. Paul Perdome. It's comfort food. Paul Perdome died October eighth, twenty fifteen, from complications from a short illness. How so old was he, though? Age seventy five. Okay. So he had a nice decently job. old. Decently old. And that's Paul Perdome. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. And I I highly recommend that folks out there, if you aren't familiar with him, this is a great cookbook, Uh, his Louisiana kitchen cookbook. I love it. I have a vintage copy. And he also, it is the most joyful cover of any cookbook ever. He's holding a giant piece of meat with like 8,000 scallions sticking out of it. And then like (laughs) his lower half is covered in sausages. Yes. Hang on one second. I'll hold it up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He does look like Dom DeLuise. Look at all <laughs> these sausages on the bottom. It's That's like, quite a few sausages, yes. And then there's, like, this whole, like, what is this? This is just, like, some giant sausage. There's a pot of gumbo on it. Look how many scallions are here. That's so many scallions. He probably is responsible for the population of scallions going down, too. There was a scallion shortage in the late 70s, and we owe it all <laughs> to your favorite chef, Paul Prudhomme. Um, Have you cooked from that book? <laughs> yeah, no, I've made some recipes for me. I made, um... Like a stuffed, well, you know, I don't follow a recipe, but I look at recipes and then get tired. Yeah. So he has some interesting recipes. I did one that was for like um, a stuffed shrimp. It was delicious. What did you stuff in there? And sausage and like peppers Ooh. and yeah. Yeah. The Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delicious. It's great. I want to actually try making gumbo. Seems labor intensive to me. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm just one person, so it's a lot of gumbo to eat just for one. I guess I'll have to get a boyfriend. Yeah, or you can just or put two. It in a papa. You can have like the lasagna slash gumbo papa. Oh, it ga- was a gumbo flavored lasagna. Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i mean that'll be (laughs) fine (laughs) i'm not sure about that i don't know seafood lasagna i'm sure it's been done (laughs) seafood lasagna is great do you remember it just reminds me of the seinfeld episode when she like break keeps breaking up with putty on the flight back from europe and she's sitting next to a guy she starts calling him vegetable lasagna (laughs) (laughs) no i don't remember vegetable lasagna over here i'm not a a seinfeld connoisseur like many people my age Uh, get into it make this the year that you start to just watch seinfeld every morning when you wake up (laughs) okay okay start your day with a hot cup of seinfeld yeah well i did just finish the witcher and i do need something else to watch the wheel of time is not doing it for me people What's the wheel of time? See, that's why I liked yellow jackets because just to bring this full circle, I'm not a show person. I watched the Sopranos over and over and Mad Men and the Gary Shandling show and Seinfeld and the Gary, the Larry Sanders show and Seinfeld. And like, I don't get into new shows. So I was like, Oh, the new show that I like, this is exciting. Yeah. I am not oh, good. I watch, I watch a lot of shows, but I haven't really been watching a lot of TV. I just put on the Witcher when I was trapped in traffic on the way back from New Orleans and I had to stop at a hotel and the TV was broken and I just started watching it on my phone and I liked it so much, even on my teeny tiny phone that I stuck with it. How interesting. Now, one, one thing we haven't spoken about in this episode is the fucking traffic jam in Virginia that happened (laughs) last week. And I'm sorry, but like, it's so fucked up. Like how did that even happen what would you do because, if you were stuck in your car for 30 hours with Tim Kane? <laughs> I mean, I was worried. I got stuck in traffic at standstill traffic for two hours. And I was very worried that that was, I was going to be stuck in my car for 30 hours. Like had just happened. Uh, yeah. It's just really wild that that happened. I almost can't believe it. And I hope I never have to be in that situation. And I wonder how many people had sex in their car and how many people pooped in their pants. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Well, this was a very fun episode and, uh, I remain jealous of you and, um, vengeful um, <laughs> because you took a vacation without me, but don't worry. I'll be there next time. Again, Mike Sala in your bed, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you. and, um, la pasta and Astola la muffaletta. la po' boy. Hasta la po' boy, hasta. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.